In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. Today is the second Sunday of the blessed month of Abib. And today the Lord gives us um, some critical criteria for entering the kingdom of heaven. He said to us, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So he says, unless we become like little children, we can't enter the kingdom of heaven. And there are many beautiful qualities that are in little children that we all can learn from, myself being the first. Number one, we see that the children are very humble, right? They are very humble, they know who they are, they know that they're the child. The children have this, uh, this dependence on their parents and the adults and those who are around them. The children are very simple in their understanding. Kind of what you see is what you get. When they're upset, they show you that they're upset. When they're happy, they're happy. You see this uh, incredible ability to forgive. You can upset them or they can be upset, and just a, a few moments later, they're coming out happy as if nothing ever happened and don't even remember what happened. It's incredible. Also, the children are very teachable. They're always inquiring and ready and willing to learn. However, the Holy Scripture also warns us about childish things, things we should not imitate in childish ways. Look at what St. Paul says. He says, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. So I'll speak this morning briefly about putting away childish things. Number one is their primitive understanding. <clears throat> the young children are very simple in their understanding. For example, when a child makes a decision, they don't calculate the risks and the consequences associated with that, with that decision. They run, if they see a body of water, they, even if they don't know how to swim, they run and head straight for the body of water, regardless if they know how to swim or not. It's up to the parents, you know, to make sure that that body of water is not accessible. Children also are not trained in proper etiquette. You can find whenever we go out and we're invited to somebody's house, we have to remind our children, only take food when it's asked. Don't go into the refrigerator. It's very rude to do such and such. Don't eat with your hands. We have to remind them of what's proper and what's not proper. Children are also simple in their basic knowledge. <clears throat> in 1 Corinthians, again, St. Paul says, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. So as Christians, we're expected to mature in our understanding of godliness and the way of God. We shouldn't be content with being stagnant, learning only what we did when we were you know, in grade school and Sunday school. We should desire to grow and to be more mature, to understand who God is, what His commandments are, what His desires are for me, and what makes Him happy, what are His pleasures. We must strive to grow spiritually throughout, you know, our life. And as parents, it's our responsibility to teach our kids and to educate our kids on the spiritual life. I'll just read a couple of verses from Proverbs that bring this to light. He says, Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. How is foolishness bound up, or how do we rid the foolishness that naturally comes to the heart of the child? He says, the rod of correction will drive it far from him. So, if we don't discipline our children and teach them and educate them about the godly way with patience and love, then this foolishness will stay in their heart, even to adulthood. 
We find today many adults behaving as little children, throwing tantrums and so on when they don't get what they want. Right? Again, this foolishness is still in their heart, as it is in a little child. Also, he says in uh, chapter 29, The rod and rebuke give wisdom, but a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. So he speaks very clearly about the responsibility of parents to teach and train their children. And I'm saying both parents because it's not just mom's responsibility, well, dad's out at work. It's both our responsibility as parents to teach and to train our children to grow in godliness. And if they're left to themselves, they will be ashamed not only to their mother, but also to their father as well. Not only are some children nowadays left to themselves, but in some regard are given the authority of leadership. Children nowadays are given the authority of leadership. Uh, just let me uh, take a side note, and I'm going to dwell on this bit just for a moment. God created the family as a means to train our children to grow, to be um, uh, the next generation of leaders, spiritually, socially, and every aspect of life. And again, it's our role as parents to teach and to role model, and it's also the child's responsibility to learn and to be taught. A role of a child is to learn and grow to maturity, to learn the difference between what is right and what is wrong, to learn the difference between what's polite and what's not polite or what's impolite, to learn what is proper and what's improper, to learn how to serve others and not to think of myself only, to put other people before myself, to learn to glorify God in every aspect of my life. <clears throat> Nowadays, many parents adopt an absurd philosophy of permitting children to govern themselves in the name of freedom and in the name of acceptance. Some parents will say what? They'll say, we do not want to hinder our children's development and self-exploration. We want to leave them to explore the world for themselves, to explore even their own identity of who they are and who they're meant to be. We don't want to hinder them nor interfere, but let them go as a ship in the sea and see where the sea takes them, see where nature takes them. Some parents believe that this in this philosophy. As I was researching, I came across this website. Um, <clears throat> and nowadays, this uh, whole transgender ideology is very popular, where people can be uh, a boy can be stuck in a girl's body and a girl can be stuck in a boy's body. All this, you know, uh, nonsense. There, when if, if somebody comes and they say, okay, my child is telling me this. So the first thing the parent does is go online and say, what do I say? How do I answer my child? First thing that comes up is what? How do they advise the world? How does the world advise parents to respond to this? They say that the, um, uh, parents can recognize their child's bravery and show gratitude by saying, thank you for letting me know. So the world is telling the parents to applaud their child's revelation and their bravery and courage for saying something like this. And they continue to advise the parent and say, tell the child that it's okay, or ask the child, is it okay for me to ask questions or do you need some time? So they're getting, the child is getting permission or the parent is getting the permission from the child 
to ask questions. Then they continue to say, how can I support you? They're telling the parent, you should ask the child, how can I support you? And they continue and say, do you want me to use he, if it was a she, when I refer to you or not? What sounds good to you? My beloved, this is, you know, utterly giving up the responsibility that you took as a vow to have children in front of God to train your children in what is godliness. Since when do parents need uh, the, the, um, the permission of the child to rebuke them and guide them and teach them? Does your child, when they go to school and learn, does the teacher ask your child, would you like to learn today or would you like to just stay on your phones today? Does this happen? Absolutely not. So this is absurd, this type of ideology where we let our children go to, for the sake of exploring and knowing themselves. This is actually, I don't know what we call this, but this is denying my responsibility as a parent and I will be judged before God for doing something like this if I ever thought about doing something like this. It's our responsibility, my beloved, to teach. When our children come home and say, this is what happened at school, we need to sit down with them and talk with them and say, Maybe this is wrong for this, this, and this reason. God told us this. We tell him the commandment of the commandment of God. God created you in His image and His likeness, and He created you as a man and He created you as a woman, and so on. And we explain to them and teach them. But to leave them like this, uh, this is an absurd in my in opinion. When God wanted to show the people of Israel in the Old Testament that He judged them. And one of the signs of his judgment on the people of Israel that he is no longer with them, listen what he says to Isaiah. He says, I will give children to be their princes, princes, like to govern, and babes shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, every one by another and every one by his neighbor. The child will be insolent towards the elder, being disrespectful to the elder, and the base towards the honorable. So the base towards the honorable. So one of the signs of God abandoning his people is that the children will rule over, will be put in positions of authority. And I'm afraid this might be happening in our society nowadays. But again, we have the responsibility before God. We're Christian. When we baptize our child, we took the responsibility upon ourselves. So we cannot give in to this idea of letting a child raise themselves. And parents, we sometimes make this mistake and think if I put them in front of a tablet or an iPhone or whatever, they will raise themselves. No. Actually, this is you know, on my part. I'm being irresponsible. And again, I'll be judged for this. Because the world will raise them if you put them in front of a screen. And they'll be taught exactly what I'm reading to you uh, this morning. Children are inexperienced and incompetent to lead. And we as adults and parents must take this role to lead and guide our children. Allowing them to do so is just like giving them the keys to your car and saying, Habibi, you drive and I'm going to sit in the back. It's exactly like what it is. And none of us will do this because we know exactly what's going to happen. Right? And we know exactly what's going to happen when children are put in this kind of position. The second thing that we are warned about childish things is that ch uh, children are very easily misled. <clears throat> um, children can be easily misled by many different means. They can be misled by their peers. Um, 
And this, of course, unfortunately, adults can be misled by their peers as well. So it's known that children can be easily manipulated and easily um, misled. St. Paul, when he went to preach in Galatia, he went to preach there. And shortly after he left, he found out that the people started perverting the gospel that he preached. So he wrote to them, and this is what we read today in the uh, Pauline epistle. He says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. So he's saying, you're not going to a different gospel, to a different religion. You're What I taught you, you're modifying and it's being changed and perverted. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he's saying to them, you're being misled as little children. You know, I just told you, maybe don't do this, and immediately you go and you do it. Right? This is like childish behavior. So as adults, we can sometimes do any the same thing. But what is the difference? When children are misled, they're actually easily guided back to the right path. But when adults are misled, the return is not so easy. It's a bit more difficult. Um, <clears throat> we said that children can be misled by their peers. They can also be misled by sometimes... Some parents can mislead their children. For example, if a parent is engaged in some particular sin and the child engages in a similar sin or a like sin, then the parent may not rebuke the child because they're doing the same thing. Or at least they'll rebuke him, but it won't be very, very convincing. They'll be just, oh, don't do that. You know, it's not good to do this. But it won't be with the strength of something they really feel wholeheartedly about. Children can also be misled by material things. And adults can be misled by material things. It's just the only difference is the type of material, right? A child can be misled by an iPad or a phone or whatever, but an adult might be misled by a house or a car or saving for money or doing a position at work. Whatever it is can be misled as well by material things. Children and adults as well can be misled by social media by the words that are uh, spread on social media, the deceptive videos, music, and different type of chats. Also, they can be misled by the opinions of people that are influential on social media. Because so-and-so is popular and they believe this, then everyone must believe this, so therefore I must believe this. This again is misleading and very naive way of thinking. So, we can be misled just as children are misled. Lastly, is the concept of it's not fair. Everyone who has a child has heard this a hundred times. It's not fair. It's not fair that you get my brother this and you don't get me this. It's not fair that you get my sister this and you don't get me this. This idea of it's not fair is among one of the most common words in children. And scripture warns us of this. He says, yet the children of your people say, the way of the Lord is not fair, but it is their way which is not fair. So many children complain that they're being mistreated. And they really, they address this to an authority figure, whether it's a teacher or a parent or somebody or a Sunday school servant or whatever, somebody who's in a position of authority, and they accuse them of not treating them fairly, of using a different measuring stick. Oh, Abuna does this with this person and not with this person. Mom and dad do this with this sibling and not with this sibling. My teacher likes these kids and not these kids. This idea of 
the, the same measuring stick is not used for everyone, but it's different, and I'm the victim in this type of measurement. <clears throat> However, sometimes it is necessary that there's a difference in measuring. It's necessary. For example, a child who is, you know, 18 years of age can stay out later and he has a license, can drive and will stay out later than a kid who is seven or eight years old. There must be a different measuring stick here. They're in two different categories. For example, when competing in sports, the minimum, t minimum qualifying time for the Olympics for men and women will be naturally different because men have a natural ability to excel in physical activity given by God. Right? So there must be a different qualifying time. So there should be a difference in what the minimum requirement is for men and women in sports. So there are some areas where this difference is necessary and it's natural and it's healthy. Adults, sometimes we do the same thing when we feel we're unjustly treated. And it's not uncommon that we say, okay, in our workplace, our boss treated this person unfairly or treated me unfairly and he treated somebody else in a different way. Again, it's not common. And we have a right, you know, to feel this way if this is truly what's happening. But what's the difference between when an adult feels it and when a child feels that they've been untreated or treated unjustly? We expect a child to be upset, perhaps cry, even throw a tantrum, and even demand changes in their favor. But do you expect the same from an adult or somebody who's mature? We would expect a mature adult to perhaps be content with what they have. I'm content with my position. I didn't get the promotion, but thank God I'm working and I have a job and I'm supporting my family. When the time comes, then I'll get the promotion. We would expect perhaps an adult, when somebody offends them, they'd be more inclined to forgiveness for the sake of peace and moving on. There was a time when St. Paul, being a Roman citizen, and he was in Philippi, and he was taken, and just because he was preaching, they grabbed him, they beat him and they threw him in prison and they, you know, uh, put him in the dungeon, the bottom part of the prison. While he was in prison, he was praying and so on and the people were listening to him. And then the, you know, a series of events happened and he was released from prison. And then the jailer who was there got scared. He was going to kill himself. And St. Paul said, no, no, don't kill yourself. We're all here. No one's running away. The next day, the people, the magistrates who threw him in prison and beat him unjustly, they said to him, just go and leave the city. What was the change of heart? What happened there? They realized that St. Paul was a Roman citizen. And according to Roman law at the time, if you um, pronounce a sentence on a Roman without a trial, you can be condemned. So when they found out that St. Paul was Roman, this would mean that if he told the authorities and they saw what happened, the magistrates who did this to him, would they themselves receive the same sentence as St. Paul? So they were scared. So they said, let's get rid of him and let's set him free so we don't make any commotion. What does St. Paul do? He said when the jailer came and said, you know what, you're free to go. St. Paul said, they have beat us openly, uncondemned Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And now do they put us out secretly? No, indeed, let them come themselves and get us out. So he said to himself, these magistrates, they treat us poorly, and they threw us in prison and beat us openly. And now they want us to go out at night 
He said, no, let them come and get us out. Do you think those magistrates, they're terrified? Because now St. Paul understands what's going on. And if he gets them in trouble, they themselves will be beaten and thrown in prison. So they come trembling in front of St. Paul and have put ourselves in this situation. We would say, okay, now it's your turn. Right? You did this unjust thing to me. Let me show you. I'm going to return the same thing to you because you judged me as you didn't. You weren't supposed to. And the officers told these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Romans. Then they came and pleaded with them and brought them out and asked them to depart from the city. So they came, trembling in front of St. Paul, and they said, please leave the city as they were trembling. What does St. Paul do? He leaves the city and continues preaching. So we ask, why did St. Paul even bring them in front of them? Perhaps to show them what forgiveness looks like. What forgiveness looks like. You know what? You treated me poorly and unjustly and you ought to be punished because of what you did. But my concern isn't really about getting justice because that might waste a lot of time for me. And my concern is preaching the gospel. So I'm going to let you go, but just know that you did a wrong thing. And he left. That was it. This was maybe the mature way of handling things. Although there are many beautiful qualities, my beloved, we can learn from children, there are also some that we are warned against. And we mentioned three today. They're primitive understanding, they're easily misled, and it's not fair. There's also one more I'd like to speak about, which is stubbornness. Very common in children. They're very stubborn, and perhaps even in some adults. This is why we'll speak about this next week. I'll leave this uh, last quote from Proverbs. Train up the child in the way he shall go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. To God be the glory forever and ever. Amen.